0: Aspects, whether it's church or family or, you know, particular clubs or organizations that you belong to, sports clubs, sports teams, you know, everyone's looking for that perfect fit. And, uh, in the book of Acts, there's a descriptive in the second chapter, if you have a Bibles, so I'd like you to open up to Acts chapter 2, beginning in verse 41. I think there's some Bibles over on the side table if you need one, and, uh, you don't own one, you can keep it, in the book of Acts, chapter 2, beginning in verse 41, it says, so those who received his word were baptized, and there were added that day about 3,000 souls, and they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and the fellowship, And to the breaking of bread and prayers. And awe came upon every soul, and many wonders and signs were being done through the apostles. And all who believed were together and had all things in common. They were selling their possessions and belongings and distributing the proceeds to all, as many as had need. And day by day, attending the temple together and breaking bread in their homes... They received their food with glad and generous hearts, praising God and having favor with all the people, and the Lord added to their number day by day those who were being saved. Now, these verses offer to the church a descriptive of what has been held up as the model of the perfect Christian community. The ideal so often looked back upon from whatever state the current church finds itself at any given moment in time and yearns to be again as it was at the beginning. The church united, the church unselfish, the church empowered, loving, praising, worshiping, and impacting the world around them with the words and the works of Jesus Christ but in reality this is the church in phase two you see it says in verse 41 and there were added there were added that day about 3,000 souls this is the church that had encountered Jesus and now they had encountered the spirit but if you back up in time just a few hours, you still find the church at 120 doing the only thing they knew to do because it was what Jesus had told them to do and it was simply this, pray and wait. Pray and wait. And what we find going on in the above read verses is the direct result of the church walking in obedience to what Jesus had told them to do. And that obedience grew the church from 120 to 3,000. So the early church, the earliest church, was the church in training. It was the church waiting to be empowered, looking to be impacted, and hoping to be changed. A church being prepared by means of an intimate relationship with Jesus Himself. So, who were these first believers? What were they like? What were they into? How did they connect with Jesus, and how did Jesus connect with them? What did it take to be a follower of Jesus, to be the early church, the first church? Well, of course, Jesus being God and being full of wisdom would have gone around to all the top theological seminaries of his day and pick the brightest, the smartest, the wealthiest, the best-looking, most charismatic personalities he could find to be part of his ministry team, right? Come on. Come on. That's what Tim did. <laughs> well, that's what all the other rabbis would do. So it only makes sense with him being who he is and who and what he represents, of course, that he should only have the absolute best, but from whose point of view? In Mark chapter 1, we see Jesus in the selection process. He's passing along the Sea of Galilee. He saw Simon and Andrew, the brother of Simon, Casting a net into the sea, for they were fishermen. Jesus said to them, Follow me, and I will make you become fishers of men. And immediately they left their nets and followed him. Going on a little farther, he saw James, the son of Zebedee, and John, his brother, who were in their boat, mending the nets. And immediately he called to them, and they left their father Zebedee in the boat with the hired servants and followed Jesus. And in Matthew, it says, As Jesus passed on from there, he saw a man called Matthew sitting at the tax booth, and he said to him, Follow me. And he rose up and followed him. These are what I would call the extraordinary ordinary. Average, everyday people living their own lives, minding their own business, who, for whatever reason, are called by Jesus to follow him, and they do it. They just do it. Fishermen. Anyone ever been down to the wharfs at Boston? Pretty rough bunch down there. Pretty rough crew, fishermen. They are the gruffest and the least educated in Jesus' day. All manual labor. And a lot of language. Hmm. Tax collectors. The least trusted and most hated person of their time. Well, How about this group in Luke chapter 8? It says, Soon after he went on through cities and villages proclaiming and bringing the good news of the kingdom of God and the twelve with him, and also some women who had been healed of evil spirits and infirmities Mary called Magdalene from whom seven demons had gone out good selection hmm. Joanna the wife of Chuza Herod's household manager and Susanna and many others who provided for them out of their means In Luke 15, we read now the tax collectors and the sinners were all drawing near to him. All the tax collectors, all the sinners were drawing near to him. And the Pharisees and the scribes were going out of their minds. These are the religious people of the day. This man receives sinners and he eats with them. He's hanging out at the bar, he's down at the club. What's he doing? In Mark chapter 2, we read, And Jesus reclined at table in his house with many tax collectors and sinners who were reclining with him, for there were many who followed him. Tax collectors, the most hated of the day, sinners, are the ones who began to follow Jesus, because those were the ones he was inviting in. We're never surprised when sinners are drawn to Jesus. But we're often thrown into a tizzy when, after they become followers of Jesus, they still, for some period of time, seem to remain tax collectors and sinners. Just throws you off the deep end. We're bewildered that they don't adhere to our religious rules our regulations, knowing that if they just follow our rules, they could be just like us. The problem is, this is not how or for who Jesus built his church. I want to read you a little quote I downloaded off of Facebook. uh, Josiah Walcott wrote this. Says so becoming a becoming Christ-like does not mean becoming someone else or being a mindless drone. Although sometimes you know, you're watching me and you wonder, I understand that. God created you to be unique, so He certainly won't destroy that. To be like Christ means transforming your character not your personality. Nice job, Josiah. Nice job. I like it. In Matthew, Jesus says this, The Son of Man came eating and drinking, and they say, look at him, a glutton and a drunkard, a friend of tax collectors and sinners. This is the accusation against him, and you know what? He doesn't dispute the claim. He doesn't say, No, I'm not. That's not me. I wouldn't do that. Uh, Instead, he gives the reason why wisdom is justified by her deeds. You watch the fruit of what it produces. When he heard it, he said, Those who are well have no need of a physician, but those who are sick. Go and learn what this means. I desire mercy, not sacrifice. For I came not to call the righteous. I came to call sinners. The church is the place that Jesus calls sinners into in order that he might be able to eat and drink with them. The great physician is the one who will change who they are and how they act. Not by rules and regulations, but through relationships that are loving, healing, embracing, and empowering. The very things the phase two church practiced. Remember, Jesus in the parable of the wheat and the tares. And for those of you who don't know what a tear is, it's not a rip in the fabric of your jeans that you pay extra for when you buy them new. All right. A tear is a, a weed that looks like a stalk of wheat. And sometimes they get mixed in with the wheat fields. And the way that you can tell if it's wheat or a tare is when the wind blows, all the wheat bends with the wind. The tares stand up straight and resist the wind, and they have no fruit. They have no fruit. So he's talking about wheat and tares, and he told his servants not to pull up the tares because it might damage the wheat. The tares are treated, now get this, this, I just realized this this morning. The tares are treated exactly the same way the wheat is until the end time harvest. I'm always amazed at how stressed out we can become with other people's stuff. Do you see what he just did? Can't believe he's doing that again. it again. Just drives me crazy. Why does he act that way? Think? Think? That's the tear damaging the wheat. You know, the tear's standing there going, hmm, just being me. Just being me. And the wheat's going, can't believe it. Hey? Leave it alone. Leave it alone. It's not your business. It's God's business. It's God's business. These two things will be the best that we can offer to the lost who come into this building. A chance to meet and develop a relationship with Jesus Christ. A place to come, meet the Lord, and eat with him. Second, a love-empowered encounter With the Holy Spirit, right? If you've got a hammer and a chisel and you think you're going to bang out someone's life till they look like you, give it up. Give it up. Right? Get in relationship with Jesus. Hmm? Listen to this: Acts chapter four. And as they were speaking to the people, the priest and the captain of the temple and the Sadducees came upon them greatly annoyed because they were teaching the people and proclaiming in Jesus the resurrection from the dead. And they arrested them and put them in custody until the next day for it was already evening. Now, do you know why they arrested them? Because they're going up to church, right? And they're going into worship. And as they're approaching the gate, here's this guy lying on the ground who can't walk and He's begging. And it says he'd been there a long time. Peter and John stop, and the guy thinks, oh, got some money coming. You know, and Peter says, we don't have any money, but what we do have, we'll give you, in the name of Jesus, rise up and walk. Guy jumps up, walks, starts dancing in the streets, praising the Lord, and all the religious community goes right off the wall. Right? Peter starts preaching a sermon. People start getting saved. Listen to the numbers. But many of those who had heard the word believed, and the number of the men who came, just the men, were 5,000. Okay? So this is the church, phase three. This is what they were arrested for. On the next day, their rulers and elders and the scribes gathered together in Jerusalem, with Annas the high priest and Caiaphas and John and Alexander, all these fancy guys, and All who were of the high priestly family, judges of the earth. And when they had set them in the midst, they inquired, By what power or by what name do you do this? Then Peter, filled with the Holy Ghost, Peter, filled with the Holy Ghost, very important, said to them, is the stone that was rejected by you, the builders, which has become the chief cornerstone. And there is salvation in no one else, for there is no other name under heaven given among men by which we must be saved. Now when they saw the boldness of Peter and John and perceived that they were uneducated and common men, uneducated and common men, the cream of the crop right filled with the Holy Spirit uneducated common men filled with the Holy Spirit turning the whole world upside down they were astonished (laughs) and they recognized that they had been with Jesus phase one shines through. They had been with Jesus. Phase two enables them to let phase one shine through so that phase three, the church empowered, can stand in the midst of a world who wants to break us down. I want to ask you this question today. Would you be recognizable that way? Would they say that of you? Oh, he's been with Jesus. She's been with Jesus. I can see that. Common, everyday, living life person. But he's been with Jesus. I can see that. Have you been with Jesus? Do you know him as your Lord and Savior? Is he the one who has called you out from your mundane life? To live an extraordinary, ordinary life. Have you heard his voice saying, follow me, follow me? Maybe today, maybe today you're hearing him say that. Follow me. We want to give you the opportunity to respond to that, to throw away your net, to leave your father's boat, whatever it takes, you know, get up from the tax collector's table and come to Jesus. We're going to have some prayer people up here, prayer teams up here. If you have never followed Jesus Christ, if you have never invited him into your life to be your Lord, your Savior, the master of your destiny, and today you want to say, Jesus, I've heard your voice, I want to follow you, I want to invite you to come up, someone will explain that process to you, pray with you, minister to you, and uh, just open up that door, phase one of your life, life abundant. You'll meet the master.